any change. And I think Welcome to the 91st Podcast. I am Chris Ryan along with the Peter Evers. Another special edition of the podcast today as we come to you from the Bamsey World Headquarters in Brockton, Massachusetts. A couple of topics before we bring in our guest, Peter. And there's been a lot of discussion about the new COVID environment, the Delta variant, how this is gripping the southern portion of the country right now, and how different businesses, organizations, and governmental entities are going to respond to what is taking place. What have been your takeaways, and where are you at in your thought process about what changes may need to take place with how BAMSI provides services and some of the different protocols in the work environment? Hey, Chris. Um, yeah, what a pertinent question right now when the whole world is um, subsequent to a, a big sigh of relief. I think we're back into, you know, being on guard. And and actually, uh, for Bamsey, there's been changes that have been sort of foisted on us over the last week. In fact, on Friday of last week, uh, the state came out with uh, new mandates that uh, everybody who worked in our group and day settings with person served would have to be tested every week on the on the color system, which we did before, uh, regardless of whether they've had a, um, a vaccination or not. And of course, this is a nod to the fact that we're getting breakthrough infections from those folks who've already been double vaxxed. Um, issues of uh, boosters are, are in the air as well, although when you think about the number of people in the world who've been vaccinated, we're a little bit ahead of our skis in terms of thinking about booster shots. But yeah, we're go- as of yesterday, uh, Monday, we're back into a weekly testing. Actually, we were never in weekly. It was bi-weekly, so it's actually more intense that everybody will have to be tested um, and everybody will have to wear masks um, and visitors as well will have to wear masks. So we have to, um, over this next week, inform all of our loved ones and, and parents a person served of these new requirements. Um, I think they're going to be very frustrated with it. But uh, in a, uh, on reflection, I think it's the right thing to do. We um, have not reached a herd immunity level in the country by any means. We leave ourselves open to variants and strains. There's another one on the on the um, on the horizon, the beta or beta, I think you would say, in this country. Uh, strain, and we're dealing at the moment, of course, with the Delta. And um, so we have to, as always, be, you know, flexible and we have to meet whatever comes at us. And we will always go with the science and we'll always listen to what the CDC is saying. Um, and of course, the, the most important thing is to keep our, our person served safe and our staff. And that's what we'll do. Is there a sense on your part that this is kind of, you know, just the beginning of increased? regulations and and rules and will you mostly follow what um the state and local governmental entities are saying or do you expect to implement things outside of what they're saying in addition in addition to abiding by what they have decided? i think we need to leave our options open for that you know remembering that we deal with some very medically fragile uh, folks um we have a vulnerable population. We may reserve the right to make other decisions around safety. But right now, you know, I think we're fortunate that we're in a state that takes this very seriously. When I think about some of the um, the things that governors of other states are doing, which are absolutely counterproductive to keeping people safe, I'm uh, very glad that we that we live in in Massachusetts, where the state is saying yes, we need to 
we take these steps now to prevent further infection and further heartache sort of down the road. So we'll be, we'll be following um, the recommendations, and they are a little bit more than recommendations, of course. These are guidelines that are, uh, there is an expectation that we'll follow them from the state. Uh, so we will do that. Um, but we'll be ever watchful to, to see how this goes. Point of optimism, I think, is that um, in Europe, in some in some countries, Britain for one of them, uh, they've had the Delta virus and they're actually on the downside of that now. Uh, they seem to have peaked. What's really interesting is they don't know why, uh, but the infection rate, the hospitalization rate is falling off. Um, I think we're very concerned about the number of kids um, who are going to be exposed when we go back to school because so many of well, them, you know, they can't be uh, vaccinated under the age of 12. Um, and that, I think that's another thing that we have to worry about about, about BAMSI as well, given the, the work we do with kids. You did a site visit today, and this is something you do each week. Um, where did you go and what type of perspective you gain? How important is it, do you think, for folks in the administration to be out in the field? <laughs> well, it was one of my favorite two hours uh, of this week uh, was spent over at the ACCS program, which is the residential program. One of nine, actually, that uh, within that um Department of Mental Health um, run uh, residential programs uh, so that I went to uh, Center Street and I went to uh, Union Court uh, very closely um, aligned both clinically and geographically. Great, great set of folks. Um, I met the person served and I met the staff and we talked about some of the issues that are concerning them, but, you know, also some of the things that they're really happy about. Um, and we talked about some of the adjustments that we've made uh, in pay uh, and how that had gone down rather well. But not just that, uh, the fact that, you know, we're communicating to staff, we're having learning, uh, uh, listening and learning sessions. Um, a number of the staff that I talked to had been to our table talk um, conversations for uh, persons of color. Um, and we're just getting the word out. We're just sort of um, connecting with people. Um, Pam Birkin uh, came with me to one, on one of the visits, and she's really interested in how we communicate. You know, we can we can communicate perfectly in terms of our message, but if people aren't reading those emails, which many staff don't have the opportunity to do because they're so busy on the floors, um, we have to find other ways of doing that. And, you know, it was interesting because a lot of the direct care staff said, you know, we read our texts. You know, texting is a good way to get information over to us. When I think about, you know, I have three adult children and we communicate mostly. This is a bit sad, but mostly we communicate by text and we communicate a lot by text. It's become uh, a very important method of getting messages across and we need to take that into account. It was lovely. It was great. And one, uh, I, we went into the kitchen at Union Court and there was this bounty of fruit of bananas and is that bananas bananas and apples and melon and it, and pineapple and the, uh, they're on a health kick there they love smoothies and you know it, it it was just i actually took a picture of it because it was such a great uh, picture especially because it's you know we're looking at you know healthy lifestyles this month we had Sandy um, Albert on the show last week, and it was just a nice reminder that, you know, people are just doing the right thing out there, and uh, and it was really good to see. So let's bring in uh, our guest for this week, and why don't you uh, introduce her and talk a little about um, the area of expertise that she is going to be uh, discussing this week. Thank you, Chris. Well, um, somebody I know particularly well, we have Sam Amaral with us today. Hi, Sam. Hi, guys. 
So Sam is our director of administrative support here, and that's one of those um, that's one of those titles that um, covers a multitude of uh, of things in the agency. And really, Sam is um, responsible for all of the administrative functions of the organization and making sure that we have a consistency of that product across the across the board, whether that be out, you know, in Foxborough um, or uh, Plymouth or wherever. Um, and Sam is also one of these, those people, um, and I hope she doesn't mind me saying that, who will take on uh, any amount of, um, uh, of tasks and special projects. Uh, and she took on uh, the special project of, um, of childcare um, about probably about three or four months ago, maybe a little bit more than that, Sam, yeah? Uh, and um, and the idea really came out of COVID, to be honest. And I'm not going to steal any of your thunder because that's why you're on the show. It's not for me to talk about what you do. Um, so to begin the story for us, Sam, because um, I, I will say that during the uh, COVID um, pandemic, people were having to come to work because they had no option because they worked in residential and day programs that needed them there. And it threw up this issue of kids being at home, uh, not at school, and this issue of, um, of, of childcare uh, and early education. And so I'm going to throw it over to you, Sam, to tell us how you got involved in this. And, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the work that we've been doing. Absolutely. Uh, so yes, I've been so excited to work on this project. I actually got invited to an initial conversation with a committee, uh, the recruitment and retention work group. And in that was, you know, what are some of the ways that we can keep our amazing staff? And as Peter mentioned, there are people just like me who have children at home, daycares were closed and getting into the office was just difficult. Uh, we lost a lot of staff, especially our, our working mothers. Um, and it was devastating to hear this. And I, we just jumped in action and said, okay, how are we going to fix this? Well, the first thing that we needed to do was to figure out what the need was, uh, figure out the barriers and then, and then quickly find solutions. Um, you know, as a mother, I know that this is important and I know that it needs to happen quickly. So we, we really moved fast with the surveys, with the focus groups. The focus groups were amazing. If you guys don't mind, I don't mind talking a little bit about how they were conducted. I'd love you um, to talk about that, yeah. Oh, good, good. Because um, I was going to do it anyways. No. <laughs> uh, so it was, we had about uh, nine focus groups a couple virtual and a couple in person. And again, I wanted to make sure that our direct care staff had as many opportunities to join these focus groups. It was the best thing that I have done in my seven months here at BMZ. It Being able to sit down with our direct care workers, hear about their struggles, their, uh, their hopes and dreams for this initiative. Um, you know, we had a couple of uh, families just talk about the need for just support to, you know, it was really nice for mothers to kind of get together. And even the fathers just saying, it's really nice to know that we're not the crazy ones. Like it's really hard to be a working parent. And, you know, how do you balance that? And there was a joke of like, I can either be when I'm working from home, a great mother and a not so great employee or, you know, a great employee and a not so great mother. So it was, um, it was really nice. We actually had a couple of tears come in and just people struggling. We've had a direct care worker that daycare just doesn't work for them because it is the nine to five. And when you're an overnight staff, it's so you wake up in the morning, get your child ready, 
try and get the day going and then they come home, you get them settled in, you put them to bed and then you go to work. When do you find time to sleep? Um, this one particular woman um, actually had me in tears and she started crying. She got COVID um, and having to be locked in a room, hearing her son on the other side, just telling um, him that he loves her and he misses her and that he'll be safe. And she was just broken and, you know, not not knowing um, if she was going to live or not. Uh, and it was just really scary. And then to think about childcare on top of that, how do I get my son to school? How do I get him um, to sit down in front of the computer? Because at this time, school was closed, so he still had to do his homework. And uh, how do you motivate those children when they're worried about their parents if they're going to wake up the next morning? Um, and so all of that weight is on our staff's shoulders. And I knew that this, I knew it was important. This just gave me the fuel just to kind of put it on overdrive and get this done quickly. And with the support of Peter and the amazing team that we have here, we're just rocking and rolling. We found some of the barriers, hours, location, um, some of the hopes and needs of getting really good direct care um, folks, or I, I, sorry, I would say staff to work with our children. Um, you know, I always say like, if I can put my, if I feel good enough to put my daughter in, I'm going to tell myself to do the same thing. Um, so we wanted to start thinking about what would it look like if FAMSI opened their own daycare? We are so unique, uh, in the ways of hours that we operate, what we do. I mean, FAMSI does it all. Um, so we're going to need a daycare that fits what we do. Uh, so we thought, what does it look like? having different four or five different locations. Um, so that way folks that work in Worcester are not worried about, oh, well, Bamsey has a daycare, but it's in Brockton and I can't get there. We wanted to eliminate that barrier. Um, financial, how much is it gonna cost? We wanna make sure that this is equitable for our staff um, who already worked so hard. We wanna be able to give this to them and say, hey, don't worry, we got your back. Um, and you know, and then hours of operation. We can't do the nine to five. Like I said, we have direct care workers that come in at seven in the morning, some that leave at midnight. So what does all that look like? You know, as, as I talk, we still, we're still are gathering this information on what that exactly would look like, but getting the green light to just explore this and, and start moving forward with this is, it's just been such an exciting time. I don't know if you can tell with my voice, but I'm so excited about this initiative. And I know a lot of our staff are very excited to see it. Um, and I think honestly, a, another aspect of this is having a support group for parents just to kind of get together too, um, even if it's virtual and just say, hey, how's it going this week? Um, it's a real testament to Bamsey um, being dedicated to their workers. It's not just coming in, doing your work and leaving. It's we know who you are. We, we love and respect you. We are a Bamsey family. Um, and if there's one thing that we can do, we can support you and we can find solutions um, to your problems, especially around this child care. Sam, you touch upon a topic that is just not significant here at Bamsey, but really across the country at this point in time, where child care issues are expensive and um, are one of the biggest inhibitors to people um, being able to work the way that they want. And I think that, you know, most important thing that you described is meeting people where they are. And as you mentioned, that can be multifaceted. If a person's working overnight, well, how do we best provide childcare for them? Does that mean 
bringing someone into the, the home setting and creating a, uh, an environment where that takes place? Because certainly it's very difficult to, if you're just looking for a babysitter, to find somebody that's going to work for over the, during that time period, um, or it can be. So what does that look like as you're moving through this project in, in meeting people where they are? Are there going to be uh, settings potentially at facilities? Are there going to be people that will do at home uh, child care? Because I think that there's potential here for this not just to be a BAMSI thing, but there's to be a pilot for how um, child care could work moving forward. Because to my knowledge, there's a lot of adult care um, uh, entities, but there are not a lot of child care entities that focus on care outside of a facility setting. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so. Like I said in the beginning, we're still trying to, to dive in of what this would actually look like, but extended hours is definitely one of the major things. So opening up early and closing late um, and what that what those hours look like. Maybe it's a 6 a.m. to an 11 p.m., a 10 p.m. Uh, just to try and help folks that are in those first, second and third shifts. Um, but as far as, you know, the overnight staff, what does that look like? Can we get licensing to have somebody come to um, people's homes? We don't know yet. I think in this data collection, it's just trying to figure out what barriers um, can we eliminate realistically. Yeah, and I think it's a question of also, you know, I remember... It's the, one of the biggest barriers to daycare is actually the cost for people. And as we think about what we want to do here at Bamsey, we want to do the best that we, we, we There's no point in us putting together um, a program that isn't the best. That's the way I look at it. You know, it's got to be, um, you know, a service that meets the needs of our staff and the children that they bring. And that is children with special needs. Um, We've talked about relationships with academic institutions as well, which actually allow us to, you know, do some research. I think about, you know, the um, early education services at Tufts University. I say this because I used to live down the street from Tufts, uh, and you know, their their daycare that they provided on this on uh, on site had a clinical component as well, which was attached to research. How cool would that be if we could develop some of those relationships that we were, um, uh, you know, then being able to refer on and, 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 and work with those kids? And I know that we've talked about that a little bit as well, Sam, right? Yep. Uh, yeah. We're, and also exploring just what's out there to, to help us fund this. We want this to be sustainable. And, and Peter, you touch on a phenomenal topic. If BAMSI is going to do this, we are going to do it well. We want to be the best because our staff deserve the absolute best. That's right. And, you know, that is when we, Chris, when you were talk, talking about this broad spectrum of, of need that's out there, you know, we're, we are constrained by the cost of that. And so it is, it is about saying what's, what's, what is the, what, what, what's our dream? And then what is attainable and what can and, and how can we work towards that? I do think, though, that this is a good opportunity for us to look at funding opportunities. Um, and I've had this discussion with our grant writers as well. You know, we need to get America back to work. I mean, there's no question about that. We've had this really and we've talked about this on the show before and, and we've had a lot of conversations about what's the future of work? You know, we're looking at hybrid models. That's 
Now, it still means that you need daycare. Um, we're looking at people who aren't that interested in coming back to work. I don't quite understand that. Um, but but there are people who are saying, look, I, 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 I don't want this for, for the rest of my life. And that's going to be a cultural challenge for us. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities uh, with funding sources that say, how do we take away some of those barriers so that we can get uh, Americans back into the workplace? And I see something like this, a groundbreaking initiative that is um, directed at our staff and maybe staff from other agencies as well that can supplement the cost for um, our own staff, um, where people are saying, oh, there's an organization that actually is taking some of the barriers of work away from, especially from women. I mean, it's it, 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 it's just a fact. Um, and uh, and then we become the, the, the employee value proposition changes again. It, here's an organization that is actually doing this because they value not just the eight hours that that person's at work, but as I keep saying, their past, their present and their future. Um, and this is an important part of that. Now, I want to shift the topic a little bit on, on this to, to just the, the normal circumstance for parents with young kids. And if you have two kids that are in childcare, very often there's one parent that is wondering why they're working because the cost benefit is not necessarily there and they're missing their time with their, their kids. And I think in the pandemic environment, this thinking has shifted even more so um, because of questions about, your ability to work consistently if there are changes in childcare or school as a result of COVID closings and things of um, of that nature. And you look at the you know the unemployment rate in Massachusetts and neighboring states, and it's very misleading because I think a lot of people are working less or are uh, have removed themselves from the workforce because it just doesn't make sense for them at this uh, at this point in time. So when you think about initiating this program, Sam, how how much does that play into it? And just kind of anecdotally speaking about friends and um, some of the people that you've spoken with in this, uh, in, in the work groups uh, and focus groups, what is your sense for the current dynamic of young parents um, with young children and, and childcare? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, I think it's it is difficult. It's a barrier. Uh, I have a three year old, like I mentioned, and I know the conversation has come up of is it worth it to stay and work when half of my check is going to child care? It's worth um, it, and Sam, then, believe me. It is. <laughs> yes, it is. It absolutely is. Um, and, but it's, you know, what what is that? What does that look like? And then, you know, when people work for an agency that may not support the daycare closing all the time because there's a COVID outbreak, there was a possible exposure. Um, the anxiety around that as well of like, I don't want to let my boss down, but I also need to be, my family needs to come first. Um, so, and that's during the focus groups, it was really just a parent of like, just see us as parents. Um, understand that this is a barrier, that there's going to be days that my kid misses the bus, so I'm going to be late. Or uh, the school closes because of um, a possible um, outbreak of COVID or, or something like that. And 
Uh, so as we went through it, you know, talking to human resources as well, of really focusing on um, the policies that we have now and changing them a little bit more to really benefit um, folks with family so that we can show our employees that, again, like Peter said, we see not just the employee, but their families and what this affects. And, um, you know, the money also, that's, it was, it came up every time, almost the first thing was, how much is this going to cost? And us go and then go, we don't make a lot. I have to work three jobs just to support my family. And then now I have to do daycare as well. It just doesn't make sense for us, but we need food on the table. And we never want our staff to choose between food and child care. Um, so we want to do our absolute best to eliminate the barriers and make it equitable across the board. That, you know, putting this in with a DEI lens um, is going to be really important as well. Location and pricing and transportation, all of that stuff needs to be looked in with the DEI lens. Yeah, I think um, I think those those things are really important. But it's also really important to think about this as an ongoing service. And, and what was interesting, Sam, I think when we started it was like we had this conversation. Well, should we do this for COVID, for the duration of COVID? Um, and I think about some of our live-in services that we had for, uh, for staff who were able to, you know, live for two weeks at a time. But it became more and more obvious to everybody around the table that this was maybe a moment in time that we could really concentrate on more of a long-term solution for this issue of, um, you know, of new parents, of young parents. Um, and, you know, when I think about some of the stresses that are on uh, young parents now, you know, I, I just got back from um, yeah, ACCS, as I was talking about, and we were talking about how difficult it was for some of our clients to get subsidized housing. But it's difficult for everybody. And you think about it when you're at the beginning of your career, you're not making, you know, as much money as perhaps you are later on, but you have more financial requirements because you're just starting a family. Um, and housing in this state is just a nightmare right now. You know, you hear stories. I heard a story last night of a, a house in Winthrop. Now, I got nothing against Winthrop. It's a very nice place, but it's not the most salubrious place in the in the state. But people are paying seventy and eighty thousand dollars above market price, or sorry, above asking price, uh, and cash. Uh, and and if there's anything we can do as an agency to relieve some of that burden or to help with some of that burden, I think that makes us again a preferred employer, and that's what we're trying to be here. Yeah, it's a different topic, but that's a huge one um, that we should probably get into in future uh, podcasts. We'll get some of the you know, the challenges that our workforce has. Um, certainly, childcare is one, but you know, the cost of rent, uh, the cost of homes, is astronomical at this point. Uh, it's on average, uh, in Massachusetts and region-wide, uh, you have to make, uh, as, a, as a family or as an individual, somewhere between sixty dollars and $80,000 to get a median rate apartment at this point in time um, and still be able to afford other aspects of your, your life. Um, you know, I, I've said it before on my radio show and, and here as well that the greatest detriment uh, to the middle class at this point is not what salaries are, it's the cost of everything else around 
Certainly, certainly wages um, are, you know, uh, you'd like to see them higher, particularly for um, individuals who are doing essential work. But we're seeing the wages start to go up. The challenge, though, is that the cost of everything is also going up and that we don't see any real change there. Um, it, it costs a lot to live a middle class or even a, um, a upper uh, lower middle class lifestyle in in this country and the costs continue to go up and childcare is one of the biggest problems. Yeah, I mean, and even leisure, you know, I, you know, it, it is just a very, it's an expensive state to live in, um, but it's worth it, I would say, uh, just in terms of, you know, the opportunities, but it's really, really difficult. Um, and I do feel, I think it's a lot more difficult than, you know, when I started off with uh, having children 30 years ago, I think it's a, a lot, a lot different. Um, and we run the risk of losing um, people who do the real work in this agency because they just can't afford to do it. They, they literally have to go and get another job. And, you know, when I think about Amazon and I think about, um, you know, these other sort of um, disruptive industries, Sure, they might be paying a little bit more per hour, but remember, they're not paying the benefits. They're not, you know, paying, you don't, you're not getting the time off. You're not getting the investment in, in, in you uh, that, that an organization like BAMSI will do in terms of education. You know, we were talking today at one of the programs about how many of our, our staff come, uh, originate from, uh, from Africa from the continent of Africa. And to take two weeks to go to Africa is just not enough time. So we need to be flexible with those folks. And if they need to take more time, an agency like ours should understand that when families and loved ones are so far away, they need that time. That's the kind of thing that if you went to Amazon, um, and I know this for a fact because I know somebody who worked there, um, they were actually fired by email, literally fired by email because they weren't making productivity. Compare and contrast that to an organization like ours, which is really trying its best to invest in the people who work here. Um, and that has to be a testament to, to, to this organization, which has been great for 50 years. Well, Sam, uh, thank you so much for the work you're doing on this uh, topic. And, and Peter, we will definitely get into some of the other uh, challenges for our workforce um, in the region and, uh, and state. And certainly uh, rent and uh, affordable housing is one of those major challenges at this point in time. Uh, thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Sam. Samantha Amaral, Peter Evers. I am Chris Ryan. This has been the Humanity First Podcast.